0: Today, we're going to talk about a two-year-old male presents to the emergency department with two days of decreased urine output and lower extremity edema. The patient's mother reports that he looks pale and has been less active over the last several days. He is eating and drinking less, and the number of wet diapers he produces has decreased from a normal of six to only two in the last 24 hours. She states that his feet and his eyelids look puffy. He developed a non-productive cough and rhinorrhea as well as a tactile fever one week ago. But these symptoms are resolving. Alright, step 1, 2, and 3, Pearl. A decreased number of wet diapers may be a sign of dehydration in infants and toddlers. Coming back to the case, um, the child is afebrile with a pulse rate of 133 per minute and a blood pressure of 118 over 77 milligrams of mercury, which is greater than the 99th percentile for age and height. On general observation, He is tight-appearing, although he cries and pushes you away during the the examination. Petechiae are present on the skin under his eyes. He has a systolic two out of six murmur, best heard at the apex, which has not been previously documented in this child. Pitting edema is noted in the dorsal feet, extending to the medial tibia bilaterally. Okay, so what is the differential diagnosis at this point? A renal cause, rather than cardiac, hepatic, or inflammatory for the patient's edema is suggested by the patient's hypertension and oliguria. Renal causes that must be considered include nephrotic and nephritic syndromes, which encompass many underlying causes, but principally manifest with similar characteristics. Nephrotic syndrome results from non-inflammatory damage to the glomerular capillary wall, which increases glomerular permeability to plasma proteins, thus causing proteinuria, which we define as greater than 50 mg per kilo per day in children, and greater than 3.5 grams per day in adults, as well as hypoalbuminemia, edema, and hyperlipidemia. Minimal change disease would be the most likely underlying nephrotic cause in this child because it predominates in boys from the age of 2 to 6 years and may occur after viral infections, although the cause is generally idiopathic. Nephritic syndromes are characterized by glomerular inflammation that results in hematuria, Often with dysmorphic or misshapen urinary erythrocytes and erythrocyte casts, renal insufficiency, and variable levels of proteinuria. Hypertension and hematuria are more predominant in nephritic syndrome, whereas edema and proteinuria are more predominant in nephrotic syndrome. The most common nephritic syndromes in children are post-infectious glomerulonephritis and immunoglobulin A nephropathy. Step 1. Pearl Post-infectious glomerulonephritis, which typically develops after a streptococcal pharyngitis or skin infection, is the most common worldwide cause of glomerular disease in children from 5 to 15 years of age. IgA nephropathy is the most common cause of glomerular disease in developed countries and typically presents with episodic gross hematuria coinciding with viral infections rather than after infections. Back to our case, we find that the peripheral blood count reveals a white blood cell count of 9.8 billion per liter with a normal differential, hemoglobin of 6.8 mg per deciliter, mean corpuscular volume of 80.4 femtoliters, hematocrit of 20.2%, and a platelet count of 38 billion per liter. Visual examination of his peripheral smear reveals schistocytes. What is the significance of schistocytes? The presence of anemia and schistocytes as a predominant morphology suggests a microangiopathic hemolytic anemia, which, along with consumptive thrombocytopenia, defines the thrombotic microangiopathy syndromes. Pathologically, these syndromes result from vascular damage in the endothelium and vessel wall with arteriolar and capillary thrombosis. Although thrombotic microangiopathy is seen in the setting of disseminated intravascular coagulopathy, and may be secondary to medications or medical conditions. The two primary causes of thrombotic microangiopathy are thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura and hemolytic uremic syndrome. Thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura is characterized by thrombotic microangiopathy with microangiopathy, with fevers, significant neurologic symptoms, and to a lesser extent, renal disease. Hemolytic uremic syndrome, on the other hand, is characterized by thrombotic microangiopathy in the setting of significant renal disease. In our patient, a chemistry panel shows levels of sodium at 135 milliequivalents per liter, potassium at 5.3 milliequivalents per liter, chloride 101 milliequivalents per liter, bicarbonate 19 milliequivalents per liter, urea nitrogen at 25 milligrams per deciliter, creatinine at 0.7 milligrams per deciliter, lactate dehydrogenase 325 units per liter, and haptoglobin 7 milligrams per deciliter. A urine dipstick test is significant for the presence of gross protein in blood. Microscopy reveals hematuria with hyaline and fine and coarse granular casts. Step 2 and 3, Pearl. In pediatric patients, it is essential to compare laboratory values to age and gender match standards. Although a creatinine level of 0.7 mg per deciliter is normal by adult standards, the same value for a 2-year-old is at the upper limit of normal, indicative of renal insufficiency. Additionally, determining the estimated glomerular filtration rate is helpful in determining the magnitude of renal impairment. Step 1, Pearl. Urine produced by a dehydrated individual may be concentrated, dark yellow in color, and have a strong odor of urea. Specific gravity typically exceeds 1.025 on urinalysis. Gross hematuria is suggested by red-tinged urine or urine with blood clots, although not all red urine is due to hematuria. Microscopic hematuria, defined as two red blood cells or more per microliter of urine, is not visible to the naked eye. Hematuria from a glomerular cause is often described as brown or tea or cola colored, whereas that from lower in the urinary tract, such as the bladder or and urethra, is more bright red in color. Proteinuria may be suggested historically by frothy or bubbly urine. Our child is admitted to the hospital. Blood and sputum cultures are negative for streptococcus pneumoniae, Stool culture and antigen testing are negative for E. coli and Shigella. Adam TS-13 activity level is normal at more than 10%. C3 is normal and C4 is low. It is important when considering hemolytic uremic syndrome as a diagnosis to be sure that the diagnosis is not thrombotic cytopenic purpura. Determining the Atom TS-13 level is therefore a part of the workup for HUS. What is the most likely diagnosis at this point? An algorithm to differentiate the various primary thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura has been ruled out at this point by the normal ADAM-TS13 activity level. Therefore, hemolytic uremic syndrome, the most common cause of acute kidney injury in childhood, is the most likely diagnosis in this patient given his microangiopathic hemolytic anemia, as well as thrombocytopenia and renal insufficiency. What is hemolytic uremic syndrome? Hemolytic uremic syndrome is a form of thrombotic microangiopathy common in children and is the most common cause of acute pediatric renal failure. It is characterized by the triad of microangiopathic hemolytic anemia, consumptive thrombocytopenia, and acute renal injury, with hematuria, proteinuria, azotemia, oliguria, or anuria, hyper- hypertension, and volume overload as presenting symptoms. The presence of fragmented erythrocytes, elevated lactic dehydrogenase, and decreased haptoglobin level are all consistent with the intravascular origin of hemolysis. Previously, cases were divided by causative factors into the categories of typical or diarrheal versus atypical or non-diarrheal cases. However, improved understanding of the underlying pathologic mechanisms of the latter cases has shifted classification schemes, and causes are better classified as either primary or secondary in nature. In children, Secondary causes represent most cases, whereas primary or atypical HUS represents 5-10% to of cases. The latter proportion has been growing due to better recognition of an underlying primary genetic complement mediated mechanism in cases previously categorized as secondary. What are the causes of secondary HUS? Secondary causes of hemolytic uremic syndrome in children are primarily caused by the effects of bacterial toxins. In diarrheal shiga toxin-causing hemolytic uremic syndrome, shiga-like toxin produced by enterohemorrhagic escherichia coli strains, O157H7 or O104H4, and shiga toxin produced by shigella dysentery type 1, targets GB3 on endothelial cells, renal misangial cells, epithelial podocytes, and tubular cells, marking them from apoptosis. Shiga toxin is also prothrombotic by facilitating endothelial secretion of von Willebrand factor and pro-inflammatory by inhibiting complement factor H to activate the alternative complement pathway. Symptoms typically begin two to five days after consumption of contaminated food or water, with three to five days of crampy abdominal pain and bloody diarrhea. Followed two to five days later by the development of pallor, bruising, weakness, and oliguria as gastrointestinal symptoms resolve. Shigatoxin can be identified via stool antigen testing. Less than 5% of cases are fatal, although 50% of patients may require dialysis. Treatment is supportive with management of hydration, blood pressure control, and dialysis. Antibiotics are not recommended because they cause additional toxin release. Once the acute illness resolves, end-stage renal disease and the need for continued dialysis are uncommon, although chronic kidney disease with hypertension and proteinuria may persist. Streptococcus pneumonia infections can also precipitate hemolytic uremic syndrome by a different mechanism. Streptococcal neuramidase exposes normally covered Thomson friedenreich antigen on urethrocytes, platelets, glomerular endothelial cells, and hepatocytes. When this antigen is exposed, antibodies are formed, resulting in cell lysis. Although less common than sugar mediated hemolytic uremic syndrome, streptococcus pneumonia-induced cases have a higher morbidity rate, with 10% progressing to end stage renal disease and a 12% mortality rate. Treatment includes antibiotics and in supportive care. Other secondary causes, less common in children, include human immunodeficiency virus and influenza A virus infection, malignancy, pregnancy, and autoimmune diseases, such as systemic lupus erythematosus and antiphospholipid antibody syndrome. What characterizes primary hemolytic uremic syndrome, also known as atypical hemolytic uremic syndrome? Complement-mediated hemolytic uremic syndrome, also known as atypical HUS, results from uncontrolled activation of the alternative complement pathway. In the absence of normal regulation, the constitutively active alternative pathway produces the terminal membrane attack complex, which injures normal cells. Dysregulation may be due to loss of function mutations in alternative pathway regulatory genes, such as CHF, CFI, or CD46 gain-of-function mutations in effector genes, such as CFB 4 C3, or inhibitory antibodies against regulatory proteins. Approximately 60-70% to 70% of patients with atypical HUS carry identifiable mutations or antibodies. In up to 80% of pediatric cohorts, an infectious event, mainly upper respiratory tract infection, diarrhea, or gastroenteritis, triggers the onset of atypical HUS, as seen in this case. Thus, Complement-mediated hemolytic uremic syndrome is a multifactorial disease with environmental triggers that initiate endothelial damage and genetic factors that determine the severity and progression of the disease. Disease onset varies by mutation and ranges from the neonatal period to adulthood, although 75% of children have the first episode before the age of two years. In childhood, there is equal distribution between the genders, although females slightly predominate in adulthood. Although most cases of atypical HUS involve complement dysregulation, two less common recessive mutations may also cause atypical HUS independent of complement. Mutations in DGKE, which encodes a protein in the lipid kinase family expressed in the endothelium platelets and protocytes, result in a prothrombotic state, platelet activation, and atypical hemolytic uremic syndrome occurring in the first year of life. Additionally, inborn errors of cobalamin absorption and metabolism, including methylmalonic aciduria and homocystinuria, cause hyperhomocystinemia that damages the glomerular endothelium, which precipitates hemolytic uremic syndrome in neonates, presenting with anorexia, vomiting, lethargy, and failure to thrive. What are the complications of hemolytic uremic syndrome? Acute complications of renal insufficiency or failure include hyperkalemia, hyponatremia, metabolic acidosis, and volume overload. Hypertension may induce posterior reversible encephalopathy syndrome or PRESS. Central nervous system involvement may be manifested by mental status changes, seizures, encephalopathy, vision changes, and hemiparesis or hemiplegia. Approximately 5% of patients may develop life-threatening multi-organ failure due to diffuse thrombotic microangiopathy, including cardiac ischemic events, pulmonary hemorrhage, central nervous system manifestations, and gastrointestinal ischemia. What is the treatment for complement-mediated hemolytic uremic syndrome? Treatment and prognosis has changed dramatically in the last decade, prior to which plasma infusion was the mainstay of treatment, and prognosis was dismal. Eculizumab, a humanized monoclonal antibody against the C5 portion of the complement activation pathway, was approved for atypical hemolytic uremic syndrome by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration in 2011. Eculizumab results in terminal complement blockade by preventing the formation of the membrane attack complex it is efficacious in genetic and immune-mediated causes of complement dysregulation. Step 2 and 3 pearl. Because ecolizumab terminally blocks complement, it increases the risk for infection with encapsulated organisms, most notably Neisseria meningitides. All patients should be vaccinated against meningococcus. Is any further workup indicated prior to initiating treatment? Individuals should have no other associated disease that may contribute to secondary hemolytic uremic syndrome toxin associated infections and streptococcal pneumonia infections should be ruled out. Atom TS-13 function should be normal to rule out thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura. Genetic testing may reveal mutations in CFH, CD46, CFI, C3, CFB, and THBD, and serologic testing may identify anti-complement factor H antibodies. Genetic testing is not required prior to initiating treatment. In our patient, eculizumab is initiated on hospital day two as his renal function progressively worsens with a creatinine level of 1.2 mg per deciliter. The platelet count and hemoglobin continue to drop with persistent evidence of hemolysis on laboratory testing. Three days after the induction dose, creatinine and LDH levels have peaked and begin to return to normal without dialysis. Hemoglobin and platelets stabilize without transfusion. Genetic testing reveals a CFH mutation, so outpatients of eculizumab are continued following discharge. Beyond the Pearls Red blood cell transfusions are often necessary for the treatment of severe hemolytic anemia. In pneumococcal-associated hemolytic uremic syndrome, red blood cells should be washed prior to transfusion to remove residual plasma proteins. This is because the recipient's endogenous IgM directed against the revealed thompson friedenreich antigen on donor erythrocytes can accelerate pathogenesis of the disease. Number two Genetic testing for abnormalities of the alternative complement pathway should parallel the workup for infectious causes if suspicion is high. Number three. The efficacy of echolizumab complement blockade can be monitored with CH50, a measure of total complement activity, before and after initiation of therapy. CH50 activity of 10% or less indicates near-complete terminal complement blockade. Number four. Families of patients receiving ecolizumab must be educated about the signs and symptoms of meningitis and given a pocket card listing these warning signs as provided by the drug manufacturer. They should seek immediate medical attention for any warning signs. That concludes this chapter from Beyond the Pearls. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Pearls podcast from Inside the Boards. This podcast is executive produced by Christopher Brightigan and Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.